we're on. So Dr. Draper, we're back. Um, we are slowly, it seems slowly, working our way to the critical school. I think we, just to remind our listeners, what we thought we'd do is try to give everyone a handle on what this thing is called, critical theory and critical thought, because it doesn't come out of a vacuum. Nope. It's got a long heritage. Um, it comes out of a culture milieu. It comes out of a historical moment, yep. um, you know, in between end of World War One, in between World War Two. But the ideas swirling that these critical theorists really get a hold of um, have been around in Europe for a while. So we went back and looked at Kant and how that started this ball rolling in some ways, and then how Hegel and Marx pushed it along. Yep. And as you and I got talking, we thought, what's the jump? Because there's a lot of scattered thoughts now that come at the end of the 19th century, the rise of pragmatism and the rise of existentialism and the rise of German idealism. And these all seem like, and they're all important things, but there was one gap in the middle you and I kept running into, it seems yeah. like. Like there's a, one more bridge that gets us from a Darwin and a Marx up into this moment, and that was Nietzsche. Yeah, um, and Freud, I think, is the other one. Yeah, right, and Freud, and we'll have yeah. to deal with the impact of Freud. And we do. probably if you start to expand that out, you get to things like the development of anthropology yep. and relative sociology. culture sociology. So we're going we're gonna to try to talk these things in, but we just felt one of the stepping stones we needed was to talk about Nietzsche, which Dr. Draper is, an, is a tough one because Nietzsche is not a movement. No. Right? I mean, there, you could say some people are Nietzschean, but we usually don't. When we say someone Nietzschean, we don't mean they're probably a student of Nietzsche. It means the same way we say Machiavellian, right? Here's someone that seems to embrace the values of and willing to step out and do what is Nietzschean. But maybe the, and, and I'll, I'll let you push back on me, Dr. Draper, if you think a different way to look at it. I think Nietzsche is probably just a good litmus test or just a good read on how Hegel and Marx and Darwin are starting to combine in a way that's going to inform a lot of 20th century thinkers. I'm not sure they're all going, hey, I'm a Nietzsche and I, I follow Nietzsche. He's not a movement. But the idea He didn't want to be. Right, he didn't want to be, right. He was against even that concept. Yeah, he didn't want people to say, I'm, I, right. I'm an apostle of Nietzsche. And good, because he criticized everyone and his cat. Yeah. I mean, he didn't like anybody, uh, maybe himself and his, and his uh, ex-girlfriend. But the point, I think, is, is that we're looking at Nietzsche here probably not to say... He's a founder of movement, but probably because he is the convergence of a lot of these ideas, and he's willing to be honest about yeah. what these ideas mean. But here's the hard part. He's also, in some sense, passing these ideas on to the next generation who yeah. will pick them up. Is that a fair read of Nietzsche? I think it is, and I think it, 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 if, if someone is Nietzschean, which I'm not even sure that's a term, but it is now. <laughs> We're PhDs. We can make yeah, up words. We can make up words. Yeah. If someone's Nietzschean, uh, you could be Nietzschean, I think, maybe the same way you can be Marxist. I'm going to use his methodology to deconstruct and evaluate. Mm. It doesn't mean we're going to get to the same, con you know, they're not at the Frankfurt School. They're using Marxist methodology. Right. Right. They're not all communists. Yeah, that's true. Right? I mean, you can't be a communist when your institute is being funded by the stock market in New York. So, <laughs> right. so but, they, but the, the toolkit that Marx gives you mm -hmm. of, of being critical mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. systems, I think Nietzsche provides that for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if there are people who are Nietzschean, uh, opposed to you know being a Christian and saying, I got saved today, mm -hmm. and having written that down, or maybe even getting a t-shirt with that on there, <laughs> I think the people, if they are Nietzschean sometimes, it's more underground. Yeah. They, they've imbibed some of Nietzsche's way of thinking, and they probably don't have a coherent system. Right, right. But, you know, they lean towards nihilism, or, right. you know, they like the God is dead part. Right, right. I think the, the other piece, too, with Nietzsche, and it's very similar to critical theory, sometimes you see this with gender theory, is these are opaque writers. Mm. 
sometimes it's hard to figure out what they're actually trying to tell you. <laughs> uh, and, and sometimes sure, I think it's intentional. Way. Okay. Uh, it, it becomes a very good way of of not saying overtly what you're trying mm. to say. Mm. Um, you see that in in some of the Frankfurt School. Um, classic example in the Frankfurt School is the the Italian gentleman uh, that was in Mussolini's. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, camp and uh, got his stuff smuggled out. Right, right. And yeah, the books. And yeah, and um, he intentionally didn't write communist or Marxist in his right. notes. He always just wrote philosophy of praxis. Yeah, that was code. Yeah, the right. same way critical uh, is code for Frankfurt schools for Marxists. Right, right. Because right. if you just came out and said Marxist, you know, that then then right. no one's going to listen to you. Right, right. But what, because you're not really Marxist either, you're you're a Marxist in the sense you're using the toolkit. Yeah. Well, that I think that's the case. That's with a great. That's a great point because I think where Christians want to deal with something like Nietzsche is want to reduce him to a set of propositions and yep. then defeat him. Propositionally, Nietzsche defeats himself. Yes. Frankly. But to your point, where Nietzsche is very powerful is as a, as a, if you say toolkit or roadmap or blueprint for action, how to take action against oppression or take action against um, uh, um, a hypocritical, tyrannical moral system, call it religion, Judeo-Christianity, call it European Western society, whatever. The, I think you're right in the sense that Nietzsche's greatest power is less in the propositional arguments he makes, but that he does come up with a toolkit or with a way of actually driving action or seeing, and, I, and we'll, we'll get to this, Dr. Berg, but seeing all moral argument as action, right? right. So even he would criticize, he'd say, well, I think lying is wrong because I, you start with these set of propositions, the syllogism, God is moral, I'm moral. And Nietzsche cuts through that and goes, all you're doing is acting. And you say, no, I'm not. Yeah. I'm speaking a word that this is truth. He says, no, by speaking that, you're taking control of someone else. Yep. And so in a sense, you're right. I think what's hard to say to systematize Nietzsche is really the reason for that is he's not developing a system. He's no. developing, as you say, a toolkit, a roadmap, and he's redefining everyone else as yes. someone who is merely coming up with a way to will power and do something. That's right. Rather than just come up with ideas. Yeah. So he's so in other words, it'd be very hard to write the Apostles' Creed of Nietzsche. Right. Right? Because it's right. not so much I believe, I believe in that regard. Right. Uh, more it's, I mean, you can say, well, I believe this is world of power, or I believe yeah, this. Yeah. Okay, you can do it, but you're right. It's less propositional, which I think that almost becomes the ethos mm. of the whole critical theories movement, right? especially the Frankfurt School, yeah. right? It's, it's as much as what they don't say sometimes that's just as important as what they say. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but, you, you know, but you made the point. It's like a good blues album. Sometimes <laughs> the note you didn't hit is what actually that. makes that but song But to your good. point, that is really opaque. Exactly. Right, and it's very hard to read them and say, well, I'm going to try to nail this down so I can understand it. it. It sort of squishes out when you try to do that. Yes. And in a sense, it's not what they're trying to do. And on the flip side, you go to evangelicalism, right, and we have a lot of evangelical listeners, and they're so concerned about being understood and clear and precise, they go the other direction sometimes and oversimplify. Um, right, right, right. right. And, and you're like, no, 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 this is far more complicated and nuanced than that. But no, we got it down to, you know, a TikTok video. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and you can't do Nietzsche on TikTok. No, you can't. And, and this, is, this is a bit of, in one sense, and maybe we shouldn't say it this way, Christian naivety. That, and I think it's Western, let's say it that way. Um, that, that we can systematize. The, and even our Christianity is not that way. Christ was not a systematizer. Right. He was calling us to a way of life, not a yeah. way, just a way to think. 
Um, but and I think, I, so we want to deal with, I think when we're talking about Nietzsche here today, what we're trying to do is say, there are ideas. I mean, it's not that there aren't. Exactly. But really, the power of Nietzsche is less the ideas he has. Yes. Right. Then that he comes up with a set of marching orders that allows you to critique what you consider to be this overly moralistic, elitist, moral system called Christianity, which he thought was played in Germany. Yeah. we got to get into a little history there, Dr. Pierce, for yeah. some of our listeners. But he thought that was happening in Germany, and Germany was becoming overloaded with this very cumbersome moral system. And people didn't want to be great anymore. They wanted to be right. Mm. And the way he helped them see this was being right is a way of being in control and being weak. You have power over people, not because you're better. So this would be like, let's say we go to a world-class soccer team and we say, I want to control the soccer team. Well, instead of becoming the best soccer player, I write the rules so good soccer players can't win. Yeah. I start to write the rules so the nicest soccer player wins. Mm -hmm. Well, that's me, lo yeah. and behold. I am nice. So you take away skill and ability, and through moralizing, you actually come up with a weakness so that the yeah. weakness is in control. Morality and goodness. And then he comes along and says, no, that is another power play. Yeah. But it's a power play by the pathetic. Yes. Not a power play by the powerful. Yes, yeah. yes, because it, that gets to his ubermensch, right? Which there is no real direct translation, so let's not even try to do that. Um, <laughs> Joe, you don't like overman? We can't no, say overman. it's weird. It's not even a word. Um, <laughs> but but this idea that, that Nietzsche is somebody who values those almost those Greek myths, right? The right. Hercules, the people like that who do great things, who overcome. Uh, the ideas and the and the and the, the values of their day, and they are operating kind of in their own right. sort of sphere. Right. Yet, uh, it, it's similar to Kant in this way. You want to kind of deconstruct the things that create values, mm -hmm. but you don't want to live in a valueless system. That's right. So you want it both ways. You can't have nihilism. Yeah, <laughs> you got to have something. Right. Yeah. You, you don't want. You don't want evil to be defined by Judeo-Christian values, but that doesn't mean evil doesn't it's exist. Something, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's the that's the so again, I think that the way we lean into this with Nietzsche is he's he might create a mood, mm -hmm. and I think postmodernity is more of a mood and, and that type of thing than really than just a because postmoderns don't even want to be defined. That's right. Uh, as critical theory people, because they think once you do that, now I become the problem. That's right. So there's a uh, and I'm not sure Nietzsche was there, but there's some value. It's almost the it's almost the Stoic scholar who thinks mm. they're sort of above the fray, and they can yeah. kind of just pop everyone else's balloons, but they don't own any balloons, so they'll be okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And there's a there's a there's an elitism. It's funny when you read Nietzsche, it it sort of just rolls off his tongue. It's this condescending. He's, yes. He's able to pick everyone else apart. So and so one thing I want to be careful of in our conversation here is. It's, it's in one sense very easy to defeat Nietzsche. Nietzsche defeated Nietzsche. He was crazy, he lost his mind, except for several other reasons right. why. But ultimately, he couldn't live out even what he wanted to live out. And you can draw straight lines connecting Nietzsche's ideas to someone like Will to Power in Hitler, and like he can't, he can't help you disagree with Hitler. He has no way. Sometimes Hegel had a similar problem, right? Since it was the man of the state, yep. was driving history. You don't know what to do with Robespierre other than go, well, I guess that was his time. Or or Plato's Republic. You or Plato, right, exactly, right. exactly. And this is where Plato really, I think, ought yeah. to take responsibility. But I think that where we want to deal with Nietzsche is in the idea, this concept, and I think you're right. I'd say two that matter, at least to me anyway. One is his ability to critique what we normally think of as moral as a power play. Yeah. 
which becomes very much part of the critical theory later. Absolutely. And the other the other one is this, and I think you've already you've already hit on it, and that is, you know, the the inability of the mind to accept nihilism. Right. Nietzsche can't say there's nothing. Transvaluation of values means there are values, but they're no longer values that are based on a transcendent. And this is, becomes the other point. And I think you've already said God is dead. Can you actually, once you get rid of the transcendent, we need to explore this a little doctor. What does a transcendent value do for morality and ethics? And once it's removed, without being nihilistic, can we have another system whereby we can value things, but not because they have an ultimate value, because of another value, whether it's historical, yeah. whether it's self-serving, whether it's you know sensuous, it's something that I can say is a valuable thing, even if there's no absolute. So once God dies, mm -hmm. it's not it's not just God. It's all transcendent value ever. Right. Now, can you actually have a new value system that he would say is objective and honest and powerful without being weak, decrepit, and dishonest? Yeah. Well, I mean, do we see the same thing with Kant? Yeah. Right. Trying to create a moral system right. that's not transcendent. Right. That we can all, to, he really wants to get, we can all, to we can all, right? Yeah. Nietzsche's not worried about that. No, um, he wants he wants the most powerful lion. Right, to win. exactly. And yeah. eventually, you breed sort of a, right. a, a generation of Ubermensch. That's right. Whatever. I, mean, well, yeah, I see your problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Ubermenches just doesn't sound right. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, so yeah. See, he 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 um, he does. He wants that's what he thinks is bigger, better. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's a big thing for him that yeah. he. Um, he wants something that does transcend the values of his day, but he's not quite sure what those are. Right. Right? He does. It's not like he had. He's not writing Richard, uh, poor Richard's almanac. Right. Right. Um, he's not giving advice you mean? Not. Not like that. Yeah. You know. Um, but he's he he. When you get rid of the sort of the transcendent that way, you're left with some sort of material reality, right. and. And you can either kind of go, well, this is what works now, so pragmatism becomes an answer. Um, or in Nietzsche's case, how do we liberate ourselves from X? And I think, really, the only way that I can make sense of Nietzsche is to understand his interlocutor is Judeo-Christian values. Yeah. It is, it, or is what he believes to be right. Judeo-Christian morality. Right. Right. And, and therefore... It's not as if Nietzsche's even operating in a vacuum, right? Yeah. You you can't get Nietzsche until you have this other interlocutor to attack. So, right. in some cases, Nietzsche needs Judeo-Christian values just to come up with his philosophy because he's got something to go against. Right. Uh, he's not now he doesn't like Buddhism either, right? That's that. So it's not like he's he wants to be a Confucian or Buddhist in that way. No, he's not. That's not it either. But his his uh, his work is very much in antithesis with Judeo-Christian stuff. So you almost need to know both Well, let's do that for a minute, because I think, and for our listeners, um, th that that term obviously would mean something specific to Nietzsche. Nietzsche's probably not dealing with evangelicals, although I'm sure he would have similar things to say about them. But certainly, if you were to look at the Lutheran Church in Germany, and to remember that in Germany, the Lutheran Church is is still to this day an institution of the state. It's still tied directly. To in fact, when I was there about five years ago, I was stunned to find out that the clergy is still paid by the state. Right, right. it's still it's still an established church. Yes, now, oddly, we are considered you know the most religious, and maybe personally or individually yeah. we are, but Germany's still a state church. And actually, stuff was actually closed there on Sunday, so I'm not sure who's <laughs> right, more sabbatarian. Yeah, exactly. So, so for Nietzsche to look at at religion the same way that. Um, 
um, you know, the fall of Rome, um, the Enlightenment historian, I can't think of the name. Oh, uh, Gibbons. Gibbons. History of Rome. That, and I think there's a lot of parallels here that it was the high-handed moralism of the church that killed Rome. Rome was a, was a yes. place of power. It was a place of, of strength and a place of cultural beauty with statues. And then Christians came along and said, no, the best person is the most sacrificial and most moral yes. person. And therefore, we don't want to make great statues and we don't want to build great armies, right? And for, and for the German state at that point, the Lutheran church had all these religious qualifiers, right, for leadership and to be in charge. And they had cultural power and cultural influence. But what were they doing with their culture? They were keeping down all of those gross, ugly people who wanted to defeat enemies and build up a great state, something yes. that Hitler would finally do when he could diminish the Lutheran state Correct. and build up the power of the German government. So the Christianity that, that, that he's looking at is very much the, the Christianity I think Gibbons is looking at at the collapse of Rome, which mm -hmm. is highly moralistic, determining who's in power, mm -hmm. and in, with that weakness of saying, we've got to care for the weakest and be self-sacrificial, it's keeping out of power the people that could actually build a, a, a glorious Germany. Yeah. And I think he is focused, I don't, I'd say nationalism may be a bit too strong, but I think he's focused on the German state. I think he's focused on German culture, too. So Yes, yes. And, and, and I think we need to just kind of put this out there, that, that scholarship today would generally say, the sort of Nazi connection to Nietzsche is really through his sister. That's true. And, that's her, true. and her husband, who kind of did some revision and that type yeah. of thing. So that's a fair... Uh, we need to make sure that's clear, that we're not we're making not saying, that connection. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not directly um, between Nietzsche and the German state, because he dies before World War One. I'm not sure. He dies around 1900. 1900. Yeah, yeah. So correct. But there's a... But again, because of his opaque writing and, and that sort of... You can... You can see where this becomes help. This becomes helpful apologetics yeah. 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 for unleashing the Aryan man to right. you know the blonde yeah. beast it could be, to yeah. do that. It could, it could be, be misappropriated right. in that way, yeah. right? Um, and because I, I don't mean I, I, some of the scholars I've come across would say it would be wrong to even refer to Nietzsche as sort of anti-Semite, right? He he doesn't like Judeo-Christian values, but well, no, yeah, you're yeah. right. But You're is right. he is he an anti-Semite like Hitler and the Nazis? Uh, yeah, probably. No. But but his his derision for the Jews, yes, who yes. he thinks has every reason for national genius, but in the end only really prize God's judgment of them that yes. keeps them weak and keeps them decrepit. And, and essentially, the Jews made us weak. Yeah, that's right. Right, the, their morality. Their morality. Right. Then it gets transferred to the Christians, and now it's in Germany, right. and it's 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 this weak. Theology right. opposed to Romulus right, exactly. and Hercules, right, right. Uh, where those are might makes right, and they, you know, they're almost the quintessential Ubermensch. That's right. That's right. And I think to this, so so you're right. So you've got this negative thing that Christianity is interlocking. I think that's exactly right. And you, you're right to if you read Nietzsche, he goes after the Jews a lot. And I think what you've said is you've got to read that more broadly as Judeo-Christian. You yeah. can't be too narrow. And I think that's true. But then the other part that we have to add in is the positive theory of working on the back of his mind, and that is the intellectual power and influence of Darwinism into the German university. Yeah. And the way that's gone. Because, you know, and this is and this may be Dr. if we gotta spend a little time unpacking for people, because I've as I've done this in class, that Christians really struggle to make sense of this. But if you if you if we just for a moment take Darwin seriously and say, yes, everything about humanity has been the result of a materialistic, biological struggle yeah. for strength. Yeah. Anything then that distracts from that mm -hmm, process, mm -hmm. right, 
limits the survivability of the species. So yeah. when you come up with something and you say, I think this is moral, it does one of two things. Either it reinforces, right, the survival of the fittest in that person to win and spread their gene to win, or, and this is what I think Nietzsche's seeing, it weakens the ability and says, I'm going to actually give preference to this, so we, so we got a, a, a field full of antelope, and you've got the fastest antelope in the bunch saying, kill me first, mm -hmm. and let this poor, decrepit, diseased antelope make it, mm -hmm. because I care. Yes. And then what happens is the lion eats the antelope, and then the whole species dies. Yes. So, right? Yeah. So, so coming up with a moral system, and I'm, I'm putting moral in scare quotes, and I can't see that. Yeah. A moral system based on Darwinism sounds to a Christian imp logically impossible. Yep. But you can't understand Nietzsche unless you can actually build that system. Right. 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 And so this Uberman is the one that actually has the power to survive. And as you said, then remakes himself by then seeding himself in the next generation. Right. Right. You have to imagine that that's the only moral thing you can do. And that, that's as close as you get to a transcendent. That's exactly right. Right. Exactly right. And so in some cases, even materialists sometimes have to talk out of both sides of their mouths. Right. Because they still have this idea right. of a transcendent... Don't positive kill. good. Don't kill. That's not. It's bad to kill. Right. Why? So you know. Right. So even Darwin has this sort of survival of the fittest is some sort of transcendent value. <laughs> right. 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 That's true. Yeah. Uh, now he would say, but but I got it through watching material. I didn't get it from a right. revelation. Uh, the same way with Marx, believing in the end the proletariat will get there. That's a transcendent belief. Right. That's uh, a historical. That, that's Hegel on, through the back door, <laughs> even a, yeah, though yeah. he's trying to throw Hegel off. Um, same with Nietzsche, exactly. right? That, that that there is this hope for this Ubermensch, mm -hmm. right? That right. yes, yes, that this is where we need to go, right? Right. Um, yeah. And it's hard to get rid of that transcendent because, and I think this is important for listeners as to understand this. This sort of most Christ, no, most non Christians already assume some sort of transcendent because you really, as a human being, can't survive without. No, they can't. Animals are the only ones that can make it without thinking the transcendent. Humans can't, but. But Nietzsche, I think, is the most honest in saying any time the transcendent appears, the Darwinian process is cut. Because mm. you immediately then posit some value system yes. that no longer contributes to survivability. Yes. So even, even if he is, you know, and I think he can't quite escape entirely, I think you're right, he's still positing a good. Yeah. But he's trying to put it in terms of physical competition yep. and biological strength and power yep. leads to control and improvement without yeah. transcending. You're right. It replaces the transcendent value. It yeah. doesn't posit no. that this is ultimately good. It merely posits that race needs strength to survive and cannot empower weakness. And therefore, Christians are actually replicating diseased antelope <laughs> yeah. Right. in yeah. the population yeah. until we all die off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, um... And again, I, you also have to go back to this German sort of philosophy or theology that's in place with say someone like Schleiermacher where it's a big difference if you actually believe actual Jesus God man actually rose from the dead mm -hmm. I mean there's the ultimate ubermensch right, right. versus well he was just a man this is just a spiritual reality mm -hmm. a spiritual belief so right. it's, it didn't even really happen right 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 it's worse right it's worse it's than that fiction. so it's fiction you made this story up this stuff didn't even actually happen. Right. And now it's hindering our progress? 
That doesn't make any sense. That yeah. you know that that that's like uh, you know hindering our progress with with the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So so where you know if you actually believe that well no we still believe Jesus actually rose from the dead actually bodily rose from the dead. Yeah. Well now all of a sudden now we got something. Right. <laughs> right. But you so, see you know you can see even in that that move and that, and that way of trying to do mm. Christianity you can see where that almost plays into Nietzsche's. Fear, yeah. you know, it's right. our weak ant, our, our disease antelope is built on fiction. Right. Yeah, it's a self-inflicted wound. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a fictional right. self-inflicted exactly. Wound. And then the question: Well, who did this to us? Right. 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 Who weakened and, and, us? Who weakened us? And 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 again, these this is where world of power. Right. That's this right. is the. So I, I think this is where this juxtaposition he creates: right, will to power versus will to truth. Hmm. And so the the will to truth person is what he would call it, is the person who's willing to be this intellectual slave and buy this fiction and buy these stories and 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 and, and be willing to sign up to be the disease antelope versus the will to power person. That's the Ubermensch. They can see through this, right? They can see beyond this, and they're not going to allow their desires, their 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 uh, personhood. To be uh, consumed or uh, reduced right. by this fiction. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And this goes to something you said at the beginning, which I think is a really helpful way to think about all of this. And that is, Nietzsche even posit, even pits against the idea that seeking truth, which has always been this Western objective. Yeah, right? it's been yeah. since since Plato. I go back to Moses and say, there's always been this idea that in order to get the world right, you've got to seek the thing yeah. that's true. Because false beliefs will lead you wrongly, even yeah. if it gives power, right? And so Socrates in this great moment where the Athens has found him guilty and now says, take the hemlock, and, and he says, I'll drink the hemlock, is to Nietzsche the dumbest, worst possible self-inflicted wound that you could possibly give yourself. Yeah. Because you're standing for something you think is true, and you'd rather be dead and standing with something that's true than alive and powerful and standing for something false. That yeah. tension that, that Socrates, I think, in a sense, gets from Moses, that becomes the tension that defines all of Western civilization. We've yeah. always grappled with that reality. And here comes Nietzsche at this point saying, to posit something yeah. that's objective, that you're actually going after, means you will have to sacrifice the very thing that gives us strength and meaning yeah. and purpose, right? Yes. So the fool the, uh, you know, comes bumbling along going, we killed God. Yeah. Why, why, if he's already dead and we can finally build a humanity based on objective reality and what we feel and yes. experience, why would you go back to the Socrates myth that somehow truth is worth having? Truth is if you win the ball game. Yes. Truth is if you actually take control. Truth is an action, and that's what you said earlier on, which I think is really helpful. Yeah, it's it's a praxis. It's a praxis, right? It's not actually interested in objective truth. It will use whatever words is necessary to realize an action mm -hmm. that leads to a survival outcome, mm -hmm. right, and a strength and a power on the back end. So it really is not, and, and this is really hard for Westerners, I think, to grab. I think it's happening now in our culture. I mean, you can see the Nietzschean moment where, yeah. right, we don't know what a woman or a man is. It's who can control the narrative becomes the power. Yes. But that's almost what we're after. So you see the influence of Nietzsche in that regard. You do? That. So that's my point, even going back to the beginning. Right. When you're Nietzschean now, it's right. it's more undercover that way. That's right. That's right. That's right. right. There's not a church of Nietzsche. <laughs> There's not. Right. There's not. Right. Um, and I think the power then, So we so we talk about... The interlocutor being Christianity, and that's important. We see the the influence, and we, we can see some Hegel, too, and we can talk about this concept of the will, because what Nietzsche grabs that 
um, idea of will to power because that's part of German philosophy yep. that all of nature will supersedes nature. Nature yep. doesn't supersede will. And that's, that's, a, that's a clunky concept for us yeah. modern, so we may not get into that. But you've got those two, and then you've got this other final point where he's finally landing on the idea that ultimately, if God is dead, then, then there has to be power only. And he seems very critical of anyone that would try to say, no, I, I don't have God. And he makes this one statement I find very intriguing. I think it was in Twilight of Idols when he says, um, I, he says, I believe that because we have grammar, I fear we've not gotten rid of God yet. Yes. Right. It's really neat, which to me is such a pointed statement, because what he's saying is any time you posit a standard or an absolute that guides behavior, mm -hmm. then you have all the problems of God come with you. Yes. Right? Yes. So, yes. So the fool is saying, don't you know, we killed God. Therefore, we've killed grammar. We've yep. killed morality. We've killed law, rule of law. We've yep. killed natural law. Right. Like all of that, like you say, is a fiction and gone. So all that's left becomes this will to power. Yes. And here's the other thing, Mark, and here's where, I, here's where I think the influence of Nietzscheanism is the most powerful. It teaches people to see, in every claim of truth, another will to power. It creates a hermeneutic of uh, squinting. <laughs> we say hermeneutic of suspicion, but you're right. It's a hermeneutic of squinting. You're right. Because it's, 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 you are. You're, there's, this, you're right. It's a there's a squinting going oh, on. Wait right. a minute. What are you, uh, what what are you really up to? What do you really, what do you really want? You yeah. say we're not allowed to have sex. What are you really up to? Exactly. You're trying to keep exactly. Me yeah. I've even done this was you know trying to explain this to students who say I want to be a missionary. I said Nietzsche would be sitting there with his nasty mustache saying, <laughs> "Why do you want to be a missionary? What are you trying to the do?" The hermeneutic those, of the squint. What are you trying <laughs> to do play. to those people over there in, yeah. the, in Africa? What are you? Yeah. Why are you trying to control? Are you that? trying to claim truth? Or are you trying to control them through your claim? Exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right, exactly. Right. It works better with a pipe. I think, uh, yeah, you know, you're right. But, but there's a, you're right, um, it's a hermeneutic of suspicion, but it's almost this sort of posture of squinting. Like, mm. what are you really at, right? right? right. You, you almost have to, you know, for the listeners, you got to picture this in your head, right? right. You but, see Mark giving a very yeah. suspicious squint. Yeah, it, it has that whole posture yeah. to it. And, and see, I think, too, and I don't want to get too far ahead, we'll, we'll get to how shall we now live, but I think if we're going to get into where's Nietzsche today, there's a part of me that thinks when I look at the way we are sort of right now in our society have sort of an epistemological crisis, of mm. an authority crisis. Mm. I mean, nobody trusts anybody. They don't trust the doctors. They don't trust the state. They don't that's trust right. the government. <laughs> you know, the only thing they seem to trust is the algorithm. Yeah, that's right. Google can't go wrong. But, um, but in some regards, everybody's a critical theorist now. Yeah. Everybody right. is in this posture of suspicion. Right. Everybody's squinting at each other. Right. You know, you're squinting at Fauci, you're squinting at the pastor, you're, you're, you're squinting at the, at the government, you're squinting at whatever. Yeah, the doctor, the it, med it, medical expert. It, it, yeah, it, what, why are you doing this? You only giving me this drug because you're probably on the take. Right, right. <laughs> and, 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 and so, you know, so there, 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 there seems to be an article be waiting to be written here. You know, we are all critical theorists now, <laughs> right? right? right. Um, and so, and, and we can get into why that is today, but... I think that's the really the posture he right. gives you, right? right. He, he gives you that hermeneutic of suspicion, right. what's really going on here. Right. And, and then I think that's the power that's right. of Nietzsche. It is. And that's how it spreads because, you know, we all know, and this is true of, you can say, the early church, you can always find a reason why someone claiming truth has got an angle. And what what's really resonates with me, and I hate to say it that way about Nietzsche, is he's right. I, it, yes! <laughs> In one sense, I'm a Christian. I am not naive about human sin because it's in my own heart, and I can see it quite plainly. Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm fully aware of the fact that a Christian may get up from a pulpit and say, this is right and full well, and this is what we see in history, right? It's this idea of um, social control is a big thesis, yes, right? The yes. post-Nietzschean thesis in history that whenever you see someone in history making a moral claim, yeah. such as you shouldn't drink too much alcohol or you yes. shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, all that was was a statement to reinforce their social position as if, therefore, since I'm the one that makes the moral rules, yes. therefore, I have status above you. That's right. Right. Since I get up and say, you can't sleep, and you you probably did sleep with your neighbor's wife, now the pastor has power over you. This is a Foucaultian, right? This is, yes. This is Michel Foucault's sort of line, and we'll get to Foucault later because it's so important, also Habermas. But back to the Nietzschean point, I think it, it teaches you, and it's taught the West, that it's not only that there's a suspicion that that's happened, that's squinting, but that defines the entire truth claim. Yeah. So now, if there is a will to power in there, since there's no meaning to words and truth anyway, I can ignore your actual truth claim. I don't have to hold that up to scrutiny. And this, this is what happens when you got in public and you say, well, I think this, and someone says, oh, I see, you're getting money from the oil industry when you say that, therefore, I don't have to pay attention to anything you say. We're now at a place where that, that, that hermeneutic of suspicion you can be discredited for doing something noble because you did something unnoble. That's right. That's right. right? right. So, uh, you know, the, the statue of, of Wilberforce or mm -hmm. uh, Whitfield being taken down right. because he used slaves. Right. And, and so, oh, well, now the whole thing's... It was all in... It's a 1619 project. Yeah, Everything's yeah. in service to the evil yeah. power play. And, and, again, it's, it's, again right. it's, not, it's not a one-to-one -one to Nietzsche, but Nietzsche gives you that posture That's right. to... You know, and what's interesting, too, is when you get to Stephen Jonathan Edwards in The First Great Awakening, I think this is what Nietzsche's probably seeing. The reality in a very Augustinian, uh, more Reformed, Calvinistic understanding of even the Christian mm. is that the Christian it has the sinner and saint happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, the Christian, Edwards talks about how uh, you know, the same heart that is being moved and softened and drawn mm -hmm. to God in a revival is also harboring hypocrisy and, and, and right. all sorts of other issues, and it's both there. And so you get someone like Nietzsche comes along, and he sees the hypocrisy, he sees this, right. and he looks at this other stuff and says, well, that's got to be messed up too. Right, right. Right? What are you really up to? Right. Exactly. And this, and this idea of will to power becomes the whole hermeneutic, and for those that are not familiar with the term, it means a framework in which meaning and truth is found. So if I want to interpret what you really mean, I've got to say, show me show me where the power structure is, show me where the power play is, and I'll yes. tell you what they actually mean by it. So you yes. could have, you know, um, I don't know, any pick your Saint Mother Teresa, uh, they're in India, merely in, you know, Mumbai, or in uh, Bombay saying, I care for the poor, and you say, okay, where's the power play coming from? Mm -hmm. So you're setting yourself up over these people because you have a moral system they don't, so you're claiming superiority, so now the power play defines the entire truth claim all the that's way right. down. That's right. That's right. And and yeah. in, in, in 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 addition to that, for 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 Nietzsche anyway, is what makes it so devious in his mind is that the power play you're after is to weaken the very people you're in control of, so you can devastate them as well. That's right. So we're all weakened. Yes. Right, as a people, down into these sickly morals. And that that's why I think, at least since the um, the, the the late twentieth century when you hear people who are, are more in that sort of critical theory, Nietzschean space, they, you know, they're willing to say, okay, that's power play, that's this, that's that. But therefore, when they do prescribe, they have to do it in such a way to try to show how they don't have any power in it. 
Right, right. That's exactly right. They do. They have to. They have to. No, no, no. I'm just trying to free you. Right. I'm trying to liberate you. I've got nothing to gain. Trust me. I have nothing to gain here. I have no... I have no um, dog in the fight yeah. to make your abortion legal. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to free you. Right. Those people over there trying to keep you from abortion, that's oppression. That's a power play. Yeah. Right, that's a power play. Where you can flip that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, and again, I don't think it generally has the same, it doesn't resonate with people mm-hmm. the same. But you could say, actually, wouldn't it be a great idea by men to give you abortions on demand real easy. Mm. Because we all know what men really want. Right, yeah, yeah. Come and, on, isn't and, that the power play here? Isn't that the power play? <laughs> right. I mean, so yeah, right. if we want to play Nietzsche right. Right. In, in the in the pro-life, pro-choice debate, you can see where that can cut both ways. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah. You know, it's like, you need the pill. Right. I'm liberating you from your body. Right. You know, as the man, which, which is setting, right, setting up a man's control of the sexual relationship better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so you, yeah, you yeah. again, it's, it's. I understand you. That's that's where this sort of hermeneutic of suspicion and this Nietzschean tool becomes very powerful. Yeah, that's right. Right, because you you can kind of checkmate each other with it. Yeah, and 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 I think this goes back to something you said too, which we'll get to. When we get to critical theory, and that is that what Nietzsche's power comes from is that there is a not homogenous, but there is a majority. Yeah, and there's a majority that has an opinion, and this is this is true of you. You say Marxians. There's two kinds of Marxians. There's the Marxian who's in the minority, who has a lot of moral power mm-hmm. because he's poking holes in all the man's argument, and this is just his wealth. Then Marxists get in power, yeah, right, and then they become this whole other species. Yes, because they're the one that are determining what everybody gets, and they tend to live in the nicer houses, right, historically. And I think this is true for Nietzsche too. Nietzsche. Nietzsche as a minority player up against the Lutheran German state yes. in the late 19th century, um, post-Bismarck. There's a, there's a elegance to Nietzsche there because he's out of power, but then put Nietzsche in control of the whole thing. Yeah. And now there's a whole nother, now it's, so how are you not simply letting your genes be the <laughs> dominant genes, right? Right. Right. And so it's not anymore a fight for humanity. Now it's an obvious fight for yourself. And I, I think if, if we're going to turn tables in, in a moment, and we see this happening in what we call the cancel culture because it's the ones that are fighting to do the canceling who ultimately themselves get canceled and then go, whoa, what happened here? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That I think there's an elegance to Nietzsche when it's the small minority fighting against the entrenched hypocritical power. True. And I, and I think Christians can get caught up in this because we know that the church has made mistakes. And we buy a little Nietzsche going, yeah, why did the pastor do that? Because he wanted control of the church. Mars Hill, right? Mm-hmm. We all talk about mm-hmm. Mars Hill. Um, yeah, it, there, was a, there was a want for control, so all the claims were really just. And there's, yeah. a, there's, there's a, an elegance to that. But you can't build a society on that critique. No. Right. So, and this is, I think, It's another, only good for deconstruction. It's only good for deconstruction. It, yeah. Right? And this it's a sledgehammer. Real, right. And this becomes a real problem, I think, in the Nietzschean moment we're in, if we can call it that. And that is, we don't have an intellectual movement that can build anything positive. What it does is it needs to tear every power claim down. Yes. But now it's in control, Mark. And so it's not doing anything elegant or interesting or challenging. It's now just wrecking. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. It's everyone's running around with hammers. Right. And sledgehammers. Everyone's got a sledgehammer, right. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, this, this, this is, that's why I'm saying, are we all critical theorists? Yeah, now, right, right. right. And, and how do you build? Um, and I think that's where that's where the tension for the Christian is right now. That's where we can't give up these right. transcendent truths that right. get beyond this. Right. 
um, that, that move past this type of thing. Um, the other thing I would say with Nietzsche, though, too, is um, one of the things, there's a lot of back, back, top, back top spin on what I'm about to say, so follow okay. up. In many ways, Nietzsche's prophetic rantings against this Judeo-Christian worldview, and it creates weakness and this kind of thing. In some ways, he actually proves the point. Mm. that unless you had Christianity, you wouldn't have all these rights claims mm. and minority groups yeah. fighting for liberation. Mm. Because in his world, Hercules and the Ubermensch wins. Right. right? It's softening you, it's weakening. He actually sees the way Christianity mm. is shaping Western laws mm. and Western thinking, and it makes him crazy. Mm -hmm. It's softening you and weakening you. Um, so in a sense, when you can say, well, what well, was the American democracy as it unfolded? Yeah. Was it affected by Christianity? Nietzsche has to say yes. Right. It right. made them weak and soft. Right, exactly. Right? Right. And, and so you know, Nietzsche's on our side in that regard. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's an interesting conference paper, Nietzsche and Christian nationalism. <laughs> so... But but that, that it, so there there's some it's it's it, when I was reading Nietzsche preparing for this you, know, you can see this right mm -hmm. he gets this that the Western world you've created I mean he's even the one to say even the way you've done the Enlightenment is still affected by Judeo-Christian values yeah that's right yeah it's funny you say that because in a world where the Christian is trying to be relegated to this unimportant player in the background yeah. of history. Nietzsche knows full well that's not true. Exactly. Yeah, 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 like, he yeah. sees it under every rock right. when they're trying to deny it's there. Right. It, 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 it's just a brilliant observation. And it's it's funny, when we study you know, the, the American Christianity and Christian Europe, and we're thinking, well, the late 19th century, that's early 20th century, a lot of ships are taking right. place. Christianity's right. losing its influence, and Nietzsche's there saying, not as much as you think. Not as much as I had exactly right. Yeah. Christianity yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. 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 And this is the thing I find really compelling about Nietzsche and why I read Nietzsche and then try to read Ecclesiastes shortly afterwards or intersperse it is because what Nietzsche is, and this is, I think this is crucial to understanding him, he sees clearly that Christianity is part of a, is an expression of a much larger claim. Yeah. It's not just about this historical movement of Jesus and the apostles and the church. That claim is a global claim that truth only happens if there's a transcendent reality. Yeah. And if that transcendent reality exists, then, ergo, all of these moral things matter more than life. Yes. And matter more than survival and matter more than, you know, strength and power and all those things. So when he says God is dead, yeah, he, you know, he's saying when you see grammar, when you see rule of law, when you see natural law, when you see the enlightenment, as you already said, when you see... A democracy. All of these things presuppose yes. that there's this, and the and the greatest of all transcendent truth claims, right? The the, the greatest of them is Christianity. Yes, yes, right, yes. exactly right. And so that's that's what you know. On the one hand, I think no one wants to be in the West a full blown Nietzschean yeah. because they do want their human rights. Yeah. They 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 do want that. So even some of the 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 challenges we see in our culture now with the social justice culture and wokeism, we there's a sense that people are arguing for what they believe is oppression, right? And 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 they're they're willing to, and sometimes unbeknownst to them, use aspects of Nietzsche's thought, right. or at least his hammer, right. <laughs> Nietzsche's hammer. But even even 
what they're deciding to hammer down mm-hmm. or where they see the problem that needs to be reconstructed. Yeah. Again, more topspin here. Nietzsche's like, yeah, but that's still Christian thinking. Yeah. That's right. You're right. Yeah. You yeah. can't get away from it. Yeah. That's it, right. It's, it's tainted the West. It, it, this is where I always wrestle with the, the, the good and the bad of the Constantinian synthesis. Mm-hmm. I, I generally wrestle with that mm-hmm. because, you know, there's one part you say, okay, you know, is Christendom over? Are we in a post-Christian West? Right. Here's the positive of that. Da, da, da. Okay. On the other hand, as ugly as it was and imperfect as it was, Christianity did help bring about abolition. Right. right. Women's rights. Right. Um, suffrage. Right. Things like that. And, and, and as Christianity is doing that, there's also people who are Christians fighting against those things right, for right, other reasons, right. right? So it's it's but that but that is something you write that Nietzsche would fully admit, and which is why he doesn't see think civil rights movements like that are any good because they're too poisoned with this decrepit yes. philosophy that what you're really trying to do is help the weak. Yeah, let the weak die. Let let the weak be weeded yeah. out by natural selection and gone. So that we can have the truth that is the truth of objective experience and reality, right. i.e. the survival of the fittest, not some fictional truth, i.e. Yeah. I believe this is good and I believe this is right. Yet at the same time, he's the same guy that balls his eyes out when he sees a horse being whipped. Yeah, yeah, right. Right? So there's a point where Nietzsche's trying to somewhat liberate people mm-hmm. who are being oppressed. Right. But for him, I think the horse is innocent. Mm. But if you are someone who is a will to truth person, you should know better. Mm. I think that that's the only way I can make sense of that for Nietzsche, right? Or just inconsistency. In yeah, we all want to believe. Right, right, yeah. right. Which he's human, right, right? right? So he wants to start to stand above us. But <laughs> there was a sense of where you know you you've been duped, right. and I'm trying to show you you've been duped. And right. if you continue to be duped and don't see this, well, right. the horse didn't have that say in the matter. Right. Right. You do. Right. Um, so I guess the question I have for you, Dr. Spander, is you know, what do we do with this in our negotiation? Right. That's the question du jour. And I think, I, I think there's two things we have to do, and they're, and they're both really problematic for me with Nietzsche. I really struggle with him in a lot of ways because there is a grain of truth, or maybe two grains of truth or three, that I think it's worth asking. And Jesus does the same thing. Jesus sees in so many of the pharisaical claims not... Yeah. Clear truth. Yeah, what do you do when Nietzsche and Jesus agree? Right, right, exactly right. Well, you know, we do the reform thing or the Kyperian thing. We say, well, truth is everywhere. That's and common grace. So that's that's our safe. Right, yeah. that's, that's always the... And our Armenian brothers fall life. on prevenient grace. <laughs> right, right. But I think the point is that we can... And I, and I say this often about something like arsenic or poison. A very small dose, it's fine, but it gets deadly very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think Nietzsche is very, very helpful for us saying, okay, I think whatever the Pharisees were claiming is truth, was really just a power play. Or mm-hmm. maybe they thought it was truth, but the more potent part of it was the power play. And mm-hmm. I want to say Nietzsche helps us see that. But here's where I think, it, we have to ask ourselves, where does Nietzsche become a poison? The God is dead thing to me, that's way down the road. Where it becomes a poison is that becomes, reductionistically, mm-hmm. the way we evaluate all truth claims. Yeah. Or that's the first question we raise. And I see this being an authority where I am now in a school, as I say, as soon as you come up with a law, you're like, oh, who are you serving with that law? Yeah. That skeptical mind, when, when that becomes the go-to or when that becomes the first question you ask, you've already bought into a problem that, although only small at this point, and maybe a small symptom becomes a disease down the line where eventually you've got to take God out. Mm-hmm. Because ultimate authority means maybe there is a power play. God is for his own power. 
God puts people in power and authority to wield that power, whether they're right or wrong, they have mm -hmm. power to wield. And I think where Nietzsche has been so caustic and so dangerous for so many Christians is they start with the moral thing, yeah, I want to see where the, follow the money. Mm. Where's the power play here? That's a good question to ask, but when that becomes the determining question for how you evaluate authority, yeah. Yeah. whether it's the pastor, whether it's your parent, yeah. or you, the doctor, or a doctor, you, you slip into this extremely dangerous ground then, yes. where now everything is defined by whether or not power is involved. And I have to say, biblically speaking, power is not an enemy of truth. Right. It is not. That is an anti-biblical view. Yeah. Because from the beginning, God put Adam over animals, and then he put Eve, and then everyone has a place under authority. Yeah. Even Jesus says, I only say what the Father tells me to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's under power and under authority. That is a, and I, I say this to students, I say, there is no truth without power. Mm -hmm. Because I do, I obey truth as a matter, or sorry, I follow truth as a matter of obedience. Yeah. And, and to me, there is the, the most dangerous the most dangerous poison of a Nietzschean way of looking at things, and we'll see this explored more when we get to critical theory, is that once that becomes reductionistically the way you evaluate truth claims, you're actually starting to say it's only true when there's no power involved. Yeah. It's only true when I can finally prove it. And to me, it's a that's a poison. But on the other hand, sometimes when I read, say, Foucault, and particularly his work on sexuality, mm -hmm. you think, well, aren't you just trying to justify your own lifestyle? <laughs> right, right, right. Isn't there another power play there? Yeah, I mean, what, what, it, maybe it's it's not you're trying to control everybody, but you at least want your own conscience satiated yeah, in right. some way. Right. Um, so you're right, that can be... But is that another tool? Is that what you're saying? Like, we, we should be willing to use Nietzsche against Nietzsche. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, now what? Right. right. Or we just sit here and stare at each other. You and the power play, too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, at what point, who's, you know, what level of power play, five levels of power <laughs> right, play? Right, right. And so that's where I think as Christians, we, we, we can't go there right. and stay there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just can't because I actually think we're walking around a society right now that's Nietzschean in that mm -hmm. way. Right. Mm -hmm. It's everybody questions everybody. Right. Nobody believes anybody. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how long you can go that way. Seriously, <laughs> well, as a society, I'm well, just no, not sure. Right. As right. a society, you can be stay in the, this yeah, critical can. Nietzschean state, and it's it's. Let, let me be careful. I says I won't say Nietzsche's a clown. I'm not saying that at all. But the yeah, circus is not fun when everybody's a clown, <laughs> right. Right? right? You know, I don't want the clown setting up the tent, right? You know, I, I so when there are no when when the circus is all clowns, hmm. and there's nobody that knows how to put up the tent, wants to put up the tent, <laughs> and the wants to follow, the, yeah, wants to follow. You know, I don't want the clowns running, letting the lions out of the cage, right? <laughs> and, and so, can you get into a space where hmm. the whole circus is clowns? Yeah, the adults have. Don't you feel like that's where we're headed? I mean, well, yes, in some regards. You know, at least if I allow myself to spend time on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, it feels like okay. The clown, it, it, the clown is funny when the other things are being managed and controlled. Right. But when it's all clowns, right. well, now what? Right, that's exactly right. And, yeah. and so it's okay. You can have a Nietzsche as this provocateur, right. standing outside the city gate, doing this. Right. But when everybody in the city <laughs> and outside the city are all Nietzsche. I'm not sure where that goes. Yeah, no, I think it doesn't exactly think right. it goes well. No, it doesn't go well. And I don't think we know yet because no one's been foolish enough in my mind to actually attempt it. We're Correct. trying it now. And as we would all admit, I think when we get into the impact of critical theory on the 20th century, we'd say, 
it's it's really working against the the long investment of Western Christianity that's still holding on against everyone's wishes. And yeah. it's still here, built into our institutions, the fabric of our law, all this stuff. But the momentum is running out. <laughs> so the clowns have taken control in one sense, but mm-hmm. the system machine is still. We could, we could say that the clowns are in control here, but there's this momentum of Christianity that is still carrying these ideas and these concepts of absolutes and transcendent into our law system, into our society. Yeah. But that's going to run out. The momentum's going to run out, and the clowns will take over at one point. And I think you make a really good point that just because the clown is very good at entertaining us, very good at making fun of the... Uh... <laughs> but we could, run it, we could run into this, and I think as the momentum runs out... Um, and the clowns start to take over, you know, that, that's going to become a problem because the clown is good. And I think to your point, the clown is very good when he is making fun of the ringleader, right? And we all like him doing that. Jester's right. making fun of the king, and that's fine as long as the, as long as the ringmaster of the king is still in operation. But we are getting to the point, you make a good, a, good, uh, a good observation, we're getting to the point where the most important moral value in our culture is to be the, the jester. It's to be the clown. And when that happens then we no longer respect the people that are in authority or the system or the institution or whatever the case may be. And then those people needed to actually run society start to disappear because, quite frankly, you and I know this, to take any leadership in this culture is a suicide. I mean, it's a psychological, emotional, public suicide because they will find some dirt and they will skewer you. And so it keeps good people from moving into authority. So, Dr. Draper, as we negotiate this, we can see that there's some uses of it. We can see there's some danger. What do you say to... A young man, a young woman who's reading, and they say, I really want to read Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. What What are you going to ask them to do about that? What are you going to ask them to do with Nietzsche? Mm, yeah. I, I actually had a similar conversation with some students recently, and we were talking about gender theory. Mm. And I said, as you're reading this, here's the questions to ask yourself. Be theologian. Mm. What is this author's anthropology? Mm. What is this author's soteriology? Mm. Uh, what is this author's eschatology? Mm. Uh, what is this um, uh, What is this author's harmatology? What's mm. the problem? Um, do they have a doctrine of God? Mm. Uh, so, so, as always, a young Christian, and you're reading this, I think I'm always as I and I, I do this now when I'm reading people. I, I'm asked. These are the questions that are running through my head, right? Because once I sort of can sort that out and say, okay, well, this is Nietzsche's ideal person. Mm-hmm. This is what Nietzsche thinks our problem is. Mm-hmm. This is Nietzsche's God. Mm-hmm. It's Hercules. Let's figure out what it is. Right. Okay. Then I'm at a point where like, okay, can I onboard this as a Christian? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's... So, so you're saying, you're saying in a sense, condense, and that's not the right word, condense these ideas into their actual theological assumptions. That's one way to read through this. Right, rather than get caught. Because I think you're right, and I want to just confirm that as a really neat method, because I think where Nietzsche can become, and I, I say this because I have students who want to read Nietzsche, and I think it's good, but I think where he, he, he unsettles you and can be dangerous is that it's in the small things where you find him to be accurate. Yep. And then you go, well, that's true. Well, yeah, that is a power play. That's true. But what I think what you're saying is, as you're confirming these opinions, you're actually onboarding theology. You are. And, and, and to say, well, wait a minute. Did Jesus say the same thing? You know, so it's, it's like when I said with Karl Marx. I don't need Karl Marx to tell me that, that right. the workers get exploited. Right. Right? Long before he was saying that ancient Israelites 
profits we're saying <laughs> that in the minor profits. So has already got that. Joel's got it nailed down. Yeah. So 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 like you said, Ecclesiastes, right? So so there's a sense of uh, I I keep those, you know, and maybe it's one of those things you almost got to read someone like Nietzsche twice. Like the mm-hmm. first time you're reading it just to get his ideas down, and it's opaque, so it's going to take some time. And then and also be sure you actually know what he's trying to say. Right. Right. And and then okay, you 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 you've read that. You maybe you're being a little seduced by it. Okay, now go back and ask yourself the question. Okay, what's Nietzsche's anthropology? Mm-hmm. What's this? What's that? Because then you get to the point and say, okay, if I if I buy this, mm-hmm. what am I left with? Right. Very important question. What am I left with? Right. And uh, so, as a Christian, if I'm trying to foster a biblical worldview, thinking Christianly, I have no problem reading any of these people. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, but again, those are the questions I'm asking along yeah. the way. Um, and at times I think, okay, how do I read Nietzsche and say, where was his critique valuable? Mm. Um, right. the other thing I think too, that's hard with say, just jumping into Nietzsche is this Nietzsche didn't write in the Bible. Yeah, that's right. We want to think that, yeah. you know, this Nietzsche, but how many people really know what Prussia is like? At this time, right? Who, you know, how do they really know how Nietzsche is interpreting Judeo-Christian? Is he even doing it right? right, or is he just interpreting how the German government seems to be using it, right? So, right. again, you and I talk a lot about that. When you read primary sources, that's great, but do you know the context yeah. with when that was based yeah. in? Because if you just take it as if it's just the vacuum and fell out of the air somewhere, right. it's well, how some Christians read the Bible. Then you you you're left with some very strange interpretations. Yeah, that's great, and I think if I could summarize, Doctor Jake, what you're saying, and I'd say, is, and and a lot of what we've come to, and we've gone through these thinkers, and then say, how do we finally negotiate it? And the word wisdom just keeps coming back up yeah. over and over again. And wisdom really requires you to understand. It requires you to understand context. I mean, you know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, interesting, by the time you get Ecclesiastes three and everything meaningless, he then says this very positive things like, but there is a time to sow. There yeah. is a time to reap. But, but the, the, what he doesn't say in there, and I think the assumption is, know the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't break down when it's time to build, and don't build when it's time to break down. Right? Right. And I think what he's saying is, if you track all these things along, and, you, and, you, and you're aware of the fact that life is meaningless without God, then where, you'll, where this will finally bear itself out is when it's time to break down, you'll be the one breaking down. Yes. And when it's time to build, you'll be the one building up. And I think what, what you're saying is, is accurate, is, is great. When, when you look at Nietzsche, wisdom would say, Here's where I can say, yeah, Nietzsche, I think you're on to something. But wisdom has to say, now you're breaking down when it's time to build. Now yeah. you're destroying and, and, and picking when it's time to plant. And that's not a minor problem. That is a crisis of civilization. It's yeah. a crisis of faith. I, I would say, Usher, and this is where I finally run afoul of Nietzsche, it's a crisis of humanity. Because I think if Nietzsche has his way, human beings don't exist. Animals exist, right? We are species. We are organisms. Everything that makes humanity human. Mm. Um, art and beauty, I think, his, and his critique of German art. Yes. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, just, it's decrepit. And, and, and anything that is ultimately beautiful for Marx or for, for Nietzsche becomes somehow decrepit and weak. He just, he destroys the beauty in almost everything. Yes. Right. So I think, I think you're right. And ultimately what we're saying is it needs wisdom. And wisdom is prayer. Wisdom yeah. is contemplation. Wisdom is not getting too big for your britches, talking to people older than yourself who've mm-hmm. navigated mm-hmm. this before. And understanding context and framework. And, and also, to play this out. Go construct your world based on Nietzsche. Seriously. Go and do it. What do you got? And, yeah. and Nietzsche didn't even give you that. Right. Right? I mean, so that's that's even the... 
and I think this is this is a fair critique of critique <laughs> of the hermeneutic of squinting. Yeah, as you are deconstructing, you're still living some way. Yeah, right. I mean, so you're you're still doing something. You know, you it's not as if you can suspend all. You know, you're in some sort of hyperbolic chamber right. and doing your deconstruct. You are living an anthropology, a soteriology, and all of those other ologies yeah. as you are deconstructing. Yeah, you're not the one free of all that just because you're deconstructing. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think we, we talk like this, and, you, and I think humans have this ability to, to at least intellectually almost see themselves above the room, <laughs> right? Um, and I've said this as soon as before. I said, stop, to Christians, stop talking about the culture like you're at the zoo. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, look, they're, they're feeding the pagans today. And oh, the pagans are mating today. Oh, look at that. And, oh, look at that. The pagans <laughs> are sinning sweet. today. And I'm like, no, no, these are your neighbors, right? Yeah. You're in the cage with them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. part of the challenge of the negotiation of city of man and city of God. Um, so the same way the deconstructive person is, is not able to completely objectively do this. In fact, their entire deconstruction might be they're deconstructing a certain wall because they have a certain perception of that wall mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that happens to be Judeo-Christian. Yeah. And I think that's what Nietzsche's even getting at, yeah. right? You know, he's, so the very reason you think this wall's wrong or this wall's off or this wing needs to be addressed could be, it's not purely objective. It's not that you come, it's you're reacting to this building because of who built it or yeah. why it was built. Right, right. And the point is that's embedded in a culture and a time and a space and a place. And, and so if you're going to be yeah. postmodern, be, be consistent. <laughs> but I also think you can so tie yourself up in knots, you basically, you just sit around impotent. Mm. And you don't do anything. Yeah. You just don't make any decisions and right. you don't do anything. Right. And we actually now are starting to see a culture operate that way. Yeah. Where Too obviously they're, they're living a certain way and they're doing certain things, but they don't want to make any big decisions yeah. because I could be wrong. Well, you've got to say every pronoun in the book so that you don't offend the person. Um, or you have to, have. or if you do make a statement, it can't be too definitive and there has to be a thousand qualifiers right, right. so that nobody's offended. Right. Yeah, right. and, and that's, that's just where we are today. And, and again, I always tell Christian students, you, if you're going to develop a biblical worldview and think Christianly, you need to be a part-time anthropologist yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, so. I'll, and I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll confirm something you said earlier. I think you need to be a full-time theologian. Yeah. Right? And I, and I really think that that's, when we say negotiating these sorts of things, we, we need to know that everything we do is theological, and that needs to be one of the first things we contemplate. And we need yeah. to hold it back up to that framework, which I think is a good assessment of, of Nietzsche. As we finish, I just want to say one thing, because we were both stumbling over name Antonio Gramsci. Yes, thank you. Two historians that can't remember his name. Yes. That would be a, a fail. Yeah, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, it's, it's, it's at the end of the Friday week, yeah, that's so right. the, the gray matter's not doing what it's, it's supposed to be. It's down here, yeah. But I want to thank you, Dr. Draper. I think, I think this is, I think you're right, and I just, uh, full credit here, when we talk about where we went next, I think you were the one that said we can't do, we can't do this and step over Nietzsche. And I think you're right. I see a really important reason for doing that. The next the next one I want to look at now is start looking at the intellectual forces leading up to um, up to critical theory and developments, yeah. considered specifically in the Frankfurt School where this yeah. starts as an institution. And for that, there's some stuff going on at the end of the 19th century and World War One that are going to play very yeah. seriously into this and, moment. And, and I think when we get to the Frankfurt School, particularly in the 1960s, 
I, I don't think we can jump over Freud. Yeah, you're right. You're I right. mean, where, 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 because sexuality is going to become right. uh, the place of deconstruction. Right. Well, let me just say, you know, Freud, for all of his ideas, it wasn't until he was um, counseling people on sh in shell shock that he his ideas finally hit the main stage, right? Yes. And that was just in years after World War One. So I think by dealing with World War One and a lot of these intellectual forces, you're right, we got to deal with Freud in that space. Yeah. Some other thinkers maybe to help us land the plane. So maybe we'll do a little bit on that before we jump into the development of the Frankfurt we School. We think we have to. And the new school in uh, in New York. But Excellent. Thank you for your time. Thank Mark. you. This was great.